one who does not walk in step with the wicked, who does not stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. This person will be like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing its fruit in season. Its leaves does not wither, and all they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. But the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalm 1, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We all love listening, as we've talked about this summer, to some of our greatest hits, right? Whenever my husband Fred and I are on the road traveling, he accommodates my playlist of beloved greatest hits. Groups like Alabama, Brooks and Dunn, Rascal Flats. Yeah, he's still not a country music lover after 30 years, but hey, I'm not giving up on him yet. This summer, our series has uh, been entitled Greatest Hits. We're wrapping it up today, and we've just been talking about what are the, the, the passages Christians love to go back to again and again, a playlist of favorites. And Psalm 1 tends to be one of those that we go back to, especially on occasions. I think part of that reason we go back there is because of the beautiful and meaningful images that the psalmist has set forth. It opens with this beautiful lush tree compared and contrasted to chaff that easily is blown away. If you, don't, if you haven't studied the Psalms, you might be interested in the fact that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 set the stage for the rest of the Psalter. Psalm 1 lays out this path that we're going to talk about today, and Psalm 2 points us toward Jesus. Psalm 1 opens with this word. It's actually, of course, a Hebrew word, the uh, language of the Old Testament, and we translate it in a variety of ways. We translate that word, first word of the psalm as blessed, happy, full of joy. People as ideologically different from one another as, say, Sigmund Freud and C.S. Lewis agree that happiness is a universal human pursuit. We all want to have a happy life, a blessed life, a life that is meaningful and full of joy. In this country, you probably know, we've written it right into our Declaration of Independence. We've said this is a fundamental right of all people. Now, I know that it's up for debate whether our forefathers meant all people or not. Many were slaveholders, but we're going to kind of go with the fact that Christians, for sure, do not separate people out from God-given gifts. The uh, forefathers even went further to say these rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were endowed to us by our creator. 
In other words, God wants us. He put it in our hearts to seek the good life, a happy life, a life of blessing. It is a gift from God put into our lives. Perhaps you've heard the term wisdom literature when talking about certain books of the Bible. Those specific books are the book of Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Job, and the Song of Songs. Wisdom literature at its heart is didactic. In other words, its very purpose is to teach or to instruct. A core teaching of Psalm 1 and the whole book that's going to follow is how to choose a path that will bring happiness to you. A path that will leave you calm, cool, and collected no matter what is going on in the environment and the culture around you. If you're familiar with the Psalms, you know that it's not a Pollyanna approach to life. It's a pathway spelled out on how to experience shalom. How to walk in this life if, if what you're looking for is a life that satisfies, that's thriving, a path that leads to abundance and joy. And the psalmist simply says, here it is. Why are the Psalms among Christianity's favorites? If you notice, if you're paying attention, this series actually started with a Psalm, Psalm 23, and now here we are ending with one. I think it's not only because of the significant images that help us hang on to the lessons in this book, but I also think it's because the Psalms contain almost every human emotion known to us mixed in with the praise and the gratitude and the joy is anger, depression, hatred, and lament. You're going to find real life in the Psalms in these chapters. That's why we keep going back there because we find life, not just Sunday kind of life, but we find our Mondays and our Tuesdays and our Wednesdays written about in these chapters. Jesus quoted from the book of Psalm more than any other Old Testament book, even on the cross, where he quoted Psalm 22, talk about the grittiness of life. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Psalm 88, termed the saddest of all the Psalms, goes like this. I'm forgotten. I'm cut off from your care. You've thrown me into the lowest pit, into the deepest darkness, your anger weighs me down. You've even taken away my companions and my loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. I'm pretty sure that was pinned on a Monday. What do you think? Does it sound like a Monday kind of psalm to me? It does to me. <laughs> Included in this instruction manual for a good life, we find grittiness and brokenness. People wrestling with all kinds of trials and tribulations and even with God himself. We also witness, if we stick with it and we walk with the psalmist through all of that, we witness time and time again the writers come out on the other side wiser, more at peace, full of greater understanding, happier time and again. Okay, let me ask you a question. Whenever you purchase a new vehicle or computer or appliance, how many of you read the instruction manual? 
Okay, there's a couple, there's a few. I think there was more in the first service, okay? So I really thought when I asked that question, I'd see more hands go up, but nah. <laughs> I don't either. I don't ever do it unless I am in trouble, and then I even call somebody to say, hey, last resort is to read the instruction manual. So that, what that makes me is super happy to be able to, to know and to tell you that God's instruction manual is written so much more interestingly than any of those manuals that kind of glaze my eyes right over. God's holy creative spirit knew long before Hollywood or Amazon or Audible that, that people love stories and they love uh, images. And so that's what we receive so often through the scriptures right here, Psalm 1, we have this lush, thriving tree. And the path to becoming like this tree, bearing its fruit, never withering, begins with three negatives. Don't walk in step with the wicked. Don't stand in the path that sinners take. And don't sit and keep company with the mockers. Now, we don't really like being told what not to do today. Maybe never, probably people have never liked being told what not to do. We only want the positives listed. Just, hey, just tell me, how can I get this good life? You don't need to tell me what I shouldn't do, but just tell me what I can do. But anybody who has parented or guided young lives knows that a good deal of learning comes voiced in the negative, and it's a good thing. It's protective. Don't touch the hot stove. Don't run out into the middle of the street. Don't, as they get older, don't, don't fall into the temptation and you know, of, of taking drugs with your friends or, or taking in pornography. Both will fry your brain, not put you on a path to have healthy relationships and a healthy life. I pity the child or the teenager who does not have in their life someone willing to say, don't, don't do this. There will be many things along the path of life that entice and that dazzle. And so many of them are good. There's going to be really good things to participate in. But there's also going to be those things that are going to damage, that are going to haunt them the rest of their days or even cut life short. Now, don't, don't hear me that we need to be harsh parents at all in any way. We need to use lots of positive reinforcements, provide a redirection. There's value, such value in that encouragement. And I would say that God's word does the same. It has that balance. There's, I bet on all of our greatest hits, we like going back to those passages that are so enriching and comforting and strengthening and encouraging. And in the mix of God's word, there are these passages that says, and don't do this because I love you and I don't want you to be harmed. Psalm 1 says, if you're looking for the good life, you want a rich and satisfying life, don't walk this way. Don't walk with the wicked, the sinner, or sit with mockers. Those are all action words. They indicate a way of life, a, a pattern of existence. We're all, every one of us, going to choose the wrong way at times. 
We're going to do the wrong thing. We're going to give into a temptation. We may walk at that path for a long time. But the message here in Psalm, when we come back, it just says, don't keep walking down that path. Get off, get off of that path. There's a better way if you want a richness in life. Maybe you're wondering, well, who are the wicked? What does that even mean? And so just a quick study of those three words. It's those walking intentionally opposed to God's instructions. Sinners more specifically means to miss the mark. You've probably heard that before, that sin is an archery term, and it means you're aiming at something and you're missing it. And mockers is just plain arrogance. It's those who arrogantly refuse to receive God's instruction. And none of us are immune to, to walking down those paths, to making that mistake. That's why we have the books of the wisdom literature and Proverbs is one that teaches us again and again to be astute, to be aware of life's temptations and where they lead, to be, to paint it so that we understand, hey, these temptations, they look so good and they're enticing and they're, they're attractive and they even seem to be what would be satisfying, but they aren't. And it's why, like I said, none of us are immune to this. And it's why today we are reading articles and listening to podcasts almost ad nauseum of Christian leaders and even whole denominations walking down paths they should never have walked down. Psalm 1 acknowledges that, hello, people do walk down wrong paths. In fact, it acknowledges there is a wrong path. There are paths that are opposed to the way in which God wants us, invites us to walk, and they won't end well. It's just six verses, six verses in this psalm, and it makes it so clear. I thought of reading this psalm, I thought of Robert Frost's poem. My mother was an English literature teacher in my high school. She had people read, Two Roads Diverged in a Yellow Wood. And he wrote this one line that, that I think is significant. He says, I stood long and looked down one as far as I could. I think that's what the Bible helps us do. I think what Psalm 1 is helping us to do is to stand and look down this path and see where it goes, see what its fruits are, and then look down this path and see what its fruits are. The man in the poem, after looking long and hard, says, and I sat out on the one less traveled, and it has made all the difference. If we want happiness, if we want a life of meaning and of joy, it's right here. Don't line up with those moving in the wrong direction. And that doesn't mean don't hang out with sinners because good grief, we'd all have to go home and never see each other again, right? <laughs> No, Jesus taught his disciples to hang out with all kinds of people and to love on people, but to not walk down paths that are opposed to God. And speaking of Jesus, and I think we always should in each sermon, what he revealed to us, and it was, maybe it's not as eye-opening to us anymore, but it was eye-opening to the group that he spoke to that day he really opened all of our eyes to the fact that it's not the people that we religious people tend to think of as sinners 
that uh, are the worst offenders of God sometimes. Sometimes it is the religious elite that may have started down a good path following God, but didn't recognize certain temptations and kind of created a path of their own. Maybe, maybe a path called success or a path called self-righteousness or, or pride. And those paths take us just as far away from God as these wicked paths that we typically think of. Okay, so those are some of the don'ts. Let's talk about the do's. Happy is the one who delights in the instruction of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. Don't let that word law, you know, the word law, almost like instruction manual, just makes my eyes kind of glaze over. So if I can encourage you, hang in there. We're not, we're not talking about a legalism here this morning. We're just talking about the whole instruction of God's, God's instructions for our life. Not a closed-minded legalism supported by a merit system of reward and punishment. But what we're looking at here is a constant openness of learning God's way. And when we stand and look down, long down that path, if, we can, if the Holy Spirit gives us insight, what we see is gold mine down there. We see treasure troves. We see jewels of intimacy, of partnering with God in this life. It's an exciting path to walk. It's not one that sucks the joy out of life. It's the one that pours joy back into our lives. This idea of delight is seen all through the Psalms. Let me share another one with you, Psalm 19. My sons, I'm thankful, memorized this. Probably the Collins kids. I'm thinking of other kids that memorized Psalm 19 in our kids' ministry here. It says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. And the commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. If we want to be happy, if we want to live wisely, expect delight in the instructions that God pours out. Meditate on them, ponder them, talk about them, discuss them. You can push against them. Just let them be part of your life. Talk about them with a friend. Um, and one of the words, another word for, med or a word for meditate, we also can translate murmur. Was just murmuring about the word of God in our lives, memorizing it, tucking it away in our hearts and in our mind. I recently heard two people, I am assuming they're not believers, talking about Christians and the Bible. And they said, why do they have to keep reading it over and over again? Didn't they get it the first time? <laughs> and I wanted to interject, oh, it's, it's because it's like a visit with an old friend. It's like talking to the wisest mentor in your life, one who, who, oh, sorry, one who knows us intimately and who we count on every time. We just know that mentor is going to nourish us and feed us, love us, console us, encourage us, and even times correct us. I have a question for you it's kind, because it's kind of like eating food. If, since you had lunch and dinner yesterday, are you going to eat it again today? It, no. Okay, Stephen's not. We're going to hold you to it. <laughs> no, 
we're going to eat food every day, unless we are fasting. I'm going to assume Stephen's fasting. <laughs> we eat food every day to keep the nourishment coming, to keep ourselves healthy and strong. It's the same way with God's word. We eat it on a daily basis, and we find what we need, the life-producing fruit that we need there. To be flourishing like a tree that never uh, loses its, its fruit or its leaves is what we're learning about here. And there's another passage that's very similar, but it paints the picture with some different nuance, and I want to share it as well. It's from Jeremiah 17. It goes like this. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that send, sends out its roots by the stream, it does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Okay, the stream is the living water, obviously, our God's instructions, our, our relationship with God himself. What do you think the roots are? Talk to me a little bit. How do we send roots to find that stream? Faith. Faith. Excellent. What are some other roots in our lives? Prayer. Prayer. Absolutely. Yeah. Say it again. Commitment. Commitment. Love that, Cassie. And what about our, our time? All of those are great. And our time and our habits, the things that we do on a regular basis, our thought life, our relational patterns, those are things that sink our roots into something. And we want to make sure that what they're sinking into is a living source, a healthy source. They form our root system that allow us to sink into the living water. And that living water produces guidance. And when we are rooted in there, it's not a question mark, it's a statement. We are going to produce fruit and we are going to thrive. Not because of what we have in ourselves, but because of who we are connected to. The heat can come, and boy, does it. The strong winds can blow, and they do. The heat can even turn to a drought. We hear a lot about that in the last 20 years here on the West Coast. Does your life ever feel like this? Yeah, really. My, I grew up in southeast Colorado. We had this, this land looked like this a lot, and my farmer dad would get super concerned. But the message here in the Psalms is that the one whose pa pattern of sinking their roots into God is going to be sustained even when the culture or the life around us looks as dry as that picture. We live in a world of corruption, we live in a time where people choose to walk in step with the wicked. It's always been true. It's been true since we humans turned away from God's instructions. We've had that path to walk. Sometimes, as believers, when the world around us seems so corrupt and so evil, we get angry. We don't want it to be like this, and we get overwhelmed at times. I think I would just give us a, a bit of a caution because panic 
can cause us to then use and exercise the very methods of those who stand against God. We can grab for power and control. We can meet violence with violence. We can seek revenge for those who have done evil things. You see, trees, when the rains stop and everything becomes very, very dry, they simply send their roots down deeper underground, seeking the water. And you know what that does? That stabilizes them. It makes them even stronger for the next thing that's going to come along. The Psalms express both the joy of life and the pain of life. Almost after every sorrow, after the anger has been expressed, and I'm so glad we can express everything to God, after the depression has passed, the anxiety is calmed, on the other side of confusion, time and time again, we see the writer say something to the effect, weeping may, in, weeping may come through the night, it may endure through the night, but joy comes in the morning. My encouragement to us this morning is don't give up when you feel the heat. Send your roots down deep. Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17, what it's just showing us is that the source, the resource for that tree that sustains it never ceases. The difference between an earthly water source, what we're so worried about on the West Coast in California, is our earthly water sources are drying up. But what we need to understand is that the difference is that the divine one, this divine living water of God, is a never-ending source. It will never dry up. I love that second song we sang in worship this morning, that he is with us every day. Go back. I'm going to go back and re-listen to that uh, later today, it's just powerful. We never have to worry that God's resources, God's strength, God's living water will run out. Verse three says, those who are like this tree will prosper in everything they do. Does that mean we're all gonna be rich? No. Jesus wasn't. But who would say that Jesus didn't prosper? in living life on the earth. You know why we can say, why do, why do we say that Jesus prospered? Because he fulfilled every purpose for which he was put on the earth. That's our promise. When our roots are down deep, we're gonna fulfill every purpose for which God has intended for us to be. Trees are actually, I learned this, uh, studying this week, that trees are actually, besides humans, the most talked about living creatures in the Bible. Genesis through Revelation, you know it, tree, the tree of life, the tree of knowledge. God's people are called oaks of righteousness. There are 36 different types of trees mentioned in the word. I think that's probably why uh, Tolkien gave such great respect to trees in the Lord of the Rings. And when I'm walking through the heat of life, when I feel battered by the strong winds that we are experiencing, you know what I do? I look around for Psalm 1 type of people. 
I look around and find the people who are calm, cool, and collected, a non-anxious presence in these crazy, chaotic times. Did you know that um, there are certain types of trees, fir trees, which we're well acquainted with, birch trees, and the banyan tree, that underneath the ground, their roots not only dig for water, their roots find the root system of all the other trees around them, and they intertwine. And that not only strengthens them, it allows them to send nutrients to other trees when they're in distress. That's the body of Christ, too. It can be. We, taught, we put our roots into, into God's living source and our roots find each other and we can send nutrients to each other, spiritual nutrients, when, we're in dis- when people are in distress. I guess one of my questions for the church this morning is will you be that person for your family? Will you be that person for our community? The one that has sunk your roots into the source of God so you can be dependable. You can be non-anxious. When people who are less stable than you and they're in a crisis, they can look around and they spot you as the non-anxious presence in their life. Not because you're some great person. Well, maybe you are, you probably are. (laughs) But because you're stabilized in the word of God and in the person of God and can then share with them out of that source. We talked about what our roots are, our our faith, our time, our habits. And I thought, you know, today maybe, maybe if we sunk our roots less into social media or less into political fighting or less into mind-numbing entertainment. And we're going to spend time in those arenas. Of course, that's our culture today. That's kind of our life. It's the water we swim in. But what if we chose as believers to spend less time putting roots into those things and more time putting roots into God's word and into God's people, I think we could help stabilize a very unstable, unstable culture. Yesterday, a friend sent an article uh, to a group text of us that we often text with and said, here's an article, read this, not, not great news about healthcare systems. And in it, it was kind of a long article. It was not super encouraging because I have two sons whose livelihoods are in healthcare. But one of the execs in that article said it feels like it's been rough before. COVID was rough, but right now it feels like the wheels have come off. And I thought, wow, that's bad enough. That's just a description of healthcare. But I look around and it looks like there's a whole lot of places that the wheels are coming off. We need Psalm 1 people. We need to be Psalm 1 people, unflappable to the winds and the heat that we're experiencing right now. We need people who will bear fruit, who can bear fruit when no one else is. In the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, 
talks about the living water flowing crystal clear from God and from the Lamb, flowing out. And on each side of that river are the tree of life, bearing fruit and its leaves producing healing for the nations. I want you to know that we partner with, one of our justice partners is an organization called Strong Harvest. It's an organization that helps villages around the world utilize the leaves of the moringa tree, another gift of God. The whole, the whole tree is an incredible source of nutrition, healing for people, all kinds of diseases, providing minerals and nutrients and uh, vitamins that they're getting from nothing else. They can get it all from the leaves of the moringa tree. Gives economic support to families and to villages. And what I thought of was Revelation 22. And I thought, yes, this is a picture of a future time when the kingdom of God is, has fully come. But the kingdom of God is here and now too, isn't it? It was ushered in by Jesus Christ. We can be the leaves of the tree that bring healing to the nations. For the, the kingdom of God both is and is yet to come. It's a high privilege to be uh, compared to trees. Okay, in contrast, and I won't spend as long on this, but the wicked in this passage are described as chaff. I remember, yeah, there's a, there's a picture of what chaff looks like. It's very lightweight substance. I remember on the farm I grew up on walking the wheat fields with my dad and tagging along and wanting to do whatever dad was doing. And so I totally remember this, breaking off the head of the wheat and rubbing it. He'd rub it with his hands, so I'd rub it with my hands. And what you find is that, that the fruit, the nut, the, the wheat kernel stays in your hand, and all you have to do is go, and the chaff is gone. And then you get to eat the kernels, the fruit of the wheat. That's what the wicked are like, Psalm 1 tells us. While the tree, this lush tree, has stability, the chaff has none. The wicked have no rootedness, no staying power. There's no substance to them, to, that, to walking that path. So the simile of the tree in Psalm 1 occupies three poetic lines. It yields its fruit in season, its leaves do not wither, and it prospers. But the chaff just gets one the wind blows it away. Some scholars, verse 5 says, the wicked will not stand in judgment. And some scholars attribute the idea of judgment here to mean that the wicked will hold no sway or influence in, in society. I liked that at first, and, and I know long term that that is true, but I wondered, is it true right now? And here's why, because the fewer people you have in a society that are sending their roots down deep into the right source, it leaves more chance that the wicked will hold sway in our world. That won't last forever. Psalm 1 and other, many other passages say in the end, the wicked will be no more. But right now, what people of faith do determines the health of our culture. 
We can, it's easier just to look off and see everything bad that's going on and blame all of them. But, but here's the answer. We can make a difference, not by getting out there and trying to change everything that's going on out there. When the trees, when a drought hits, the trees don't start waving around their branches trying to make change in the air. They just send the roots down. Maybe that's the way the church makes a difference in our culture. Not flapping our jaws or our arms or anything else, but just sending our roots down into Jesus. A mark of wisdom literature is its use of compare and contrast. Here are quick, three quick contrasts between a tree and chaff. The tree's alive. Chaff is dead. The tree is marked by endurance. It's not going anywhere. The chaff is blown away easily. The tree has significance. It bears fruit. Its leaves are fresh. It's fulfilling its purpose of existence. And the chaff is absolutely good for nothing. It does not nourish. It does not produce a usable product. It cannot be counted on. The last verse, verse six, promises that the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. In the Hebrew, there's a, the word that they use indicates such an intimacy of God with the righteous. That he sees us, that he watches over our way, that he protects us in our journey. I had a seminary prof that I thought made it easy to understand what righteousness is. He said, righteousness is simply right living. Sometimes we make things too complicated. There's a right way to live and a wrong way. But as I alluded to earlier, none of us ever chooses rightly all the time, do we? And sometimes we head down a path that's not been healthy and God knew that we would, and God made a way. And that's why 1 Corinthians 1 says, it is because of God that you're in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast only in the Lord. Jesus doesn't cancel God's instructions for us to live righteously but he does fulfill the letter of the law for perfection. In Christ, we are already made right. When we place our faith, when we put our roots in Jesus, we are immediately made right, we're on a path of wholeness, and we're invited to live as Jesus lives. In contrast to the righteous, the wicked do perish, and not so much as a punishment as we talked about a few weeks ago, but because they've cut themselves off from the path of life. Wickedness really in the Psalms is fundamentally to be self-centered rather than God-centered. To be self-instructed rather than God-instructed. Some would define happiness as self-actualization. Getting to do whatever makes me happy. You know the saying today, you do you. You can't find that in a Psalm that the path to happiness is you do you. How about you do God <laughs> instead? Happiness is found rooted deeply into the worship of God and the obedience of his words. Well, maybe you're here this morning and wow, this just all sounds too daunting. I think it, it's kind of a heavy message. Maybe, I don't know, Psalm 1 is, is 
deep with images and, and meaning. But maybe you don't even know this Bible that we're talking about or you're not too sure about it. And you know what? That's absolutely okay. We've all been in that place. It's your choice. I'm going to give you a couple of, uh, offer a couple, all of us, some new resources. They've been mentioned up here before, but I think they're so helpful. Maybe you're not somebody who sits down and just reads the Bible chapter after chapter, but you're interested, you're hungry. There's two things I would point you to. The Bible Project, you can Google that. It'll come right up for you. It's a fun site. It has uh, well-done short videos. You don't like listening to a song, a long sermon. These aren't, they're short. And it'll teach you, give you introduction, help you understand how the word was formed and what some of the teachings mean. It's great for the whole family. Another um, Resource, if you have more of a contemplative bent, I met someone after the first service. He said, that, you know, yeah, I'm more quiet, more introverted. How can I just spend time with the Lord? And Electio 365 is an app. It's a 10-minute journey every morning. I love it. I use it every day. Um, it just walks you through a passage of Scripture that's being used by others around the globe. And then it gives a, a time of guided, guided prayer. Those are two things you can do on your own. But here at New Hope, opportunities abound to send your roots not only into God's word, but into contact with each other. This very month, September, I can't believe, I, wanted to, I was going to say in the coming month of September, but it's here. So what's kicking off here, ways for you to go down deep are uh, life groups and uh, Women's Bible study, men's Bible study, you can find all of those on our webpage or talk to Dina uh, or the info booth today. We live in turbulent times. Psalm 1 offers us a way to bring more stability into our own life and to provide stability for others. Mark Sayers, uh, Mark, uh, John has mentioned him, he's an Australian pastor, recently wrote a book entitled a non-anxious presence. I haven't read it. I want to. He's a smart and insightful dude. But Psalm 1, long before Mark ever came along, said, here's how to be a non-anxious presence. Here's how to be calm, cool, and collected in the world in which you live. Well, Psalm 1 really gives us this path for making choices to follow our own path of life or to follow God's instructions. It's a pathway around choices of behavior. But choices of behavior are always incomplete without a relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the path. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Walk with me and I will give you life. I will teach you how to walk with the Father. And so he came and lived so thankful that he did. I don't know that I would be able to be a person of strong faith without the example to look back in the word and see Jesus and know what he did. And on the very last night of his life on earth, he sat with his disciples who he knew would betray him and, and abandon him. And he said, but I want to do this for you. And he took the bread and he broke it and he, he said, eat, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the vine, take it. This is my blood poured out for the sin of many. This morning, 
we just invite you to sink your roots in deep to Jesus. Take the elements when you're ready.